1: Hello, everybody and welcome back once again to Dirty Sexy History. My name is Jessica Kale and this week I have a more seasonal episode for you. This Tuesday, March 1st, is Shrove Tuesday, better known in these parts as Mardi Gras. No, we're not doing the history of beads drinking in the streets or jazz, but now that I mention it, I kind of wish we were... Now, we'll get there, but this week I want to take it back just a little bit further to tell you about the Shrove Tuesday riots of 1668. A few points to mention before we get started. One, this is more fun than it sounds. I promise. Two, it does involve some violence against sex workers, which we do not condone in any way, shape, or form, and while I appreciate that some of you understandably might not want to hear about that, I get it, I really do, I can at least assure you that this has a satisfying ending. For context, this takes place in London during the Restoration, the later years of the 17th century when Charles II was on the throne after the restoration of the monarchy following the English Civil War just to warn you, this is probably our favorite period. John's PhD focused on childhood and education during this period, and my first book series is also set during the 1670s. So to say that we're excited to talk about this is just a little bit of an understatement. We wrote this one together, and I've coerced John to read some of the parts for you as well. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get started. You can't read as much about sex work as I do without coming across the Shrove Tuesday Riots. They're a little more than a footnote now, but for years they were the terror of every working girl in greater London. Apprentices turned up in droves to participate in the sport of whore bashing, which E.J. Burford assures us was an ancient tradition. Excuse me? Well, for many years in London, it was an annual tradition for the local apprentices to attack sex workers and forcibly tear down brothels on Shrove Tuesday. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly how many years, as these riots were so commonplace that they were rarely mentioned unless the property damage was particularly notable that year. The Shrove Tuesday riots of 1668 were particularly notable for a few reasons. They lasted for several days, involved thousands of people, and the damage was so extensive that eight apprentices were actually hanged for it. When two of Elizabeth Cresswell's brothels were destroyed, she sponsored a satirical pamphlet beseeching Lady Castlemaine, Charles II's then-mistress, to intercede on their behalf to protect them and their property from future attacks. Samuel Pepys describes it in his diary entry from March 25th of 1668.
0: The Duke of York and all with him this morning were full of the talk of the Prentices, who were not yet put down, though the guards and the militia of the town have been in arms all this night, and the night before, and the Prentices have made fools of them, sometimes by running from them and flinging stones at them. Some blood have been spilt, but a great many houses pulled down, and among others the Duke of York was mighty merry at that of Damaris Pages, the great board of the seamen. And the Duke of York complained merrily that he hath lost two tenants by their houses being pulled down, who paid him for their wine licences £15 pounds a year. But here it was said how these idle fellows have had the confidence to say that they did ill in contenting themselves in pulling down the little boardy houses, and did not go and pull down the great boardy house at Whitehall.
1: It's always helpful to have an actual British guy to read these parts. Uh, Somehow, it just doesn't hit the same when you're a girl from Minnesota. (sighs) What can you do? Anyway, as an interesting side note, Pepys worked for the Duke of York, who was in charge of the Navy at the time. Now, you'll note that in this passage from Pepys' diary, he mentions that the Duke of York was upset that these brothels catering to sailors were torn down. These brothels were his tenants, and they were where he got many of his recruits for the Navy. Not by signing them up, of course, no one in their right mind would enlist, but they would actually press gang men into the Navy when they visited these brothels and were too, uh, mm, distracted to run away or fight back. Not entirely above board, was it? Anyway, the official reason for these riots was a general displeasure at the decadence of Charles II's court and disapproval at the immorality of London as a whole. But was that it? Let's take a closer look. By 1660, it is estimated that there were about 20,000 apprentices working in London. The whole city only had about 105,000 people at the time. Boys were apprenticed around age 11 and would remain that way until they were about 24. During this 13-year period, almost half of the average lifespan, They worked without pay under masters obliged to monitor their behavior and see to their moral instruction as well as their vocational training. They were frequently beaten and relied on their masters for all of their basic necessities, including food, clothing, and shelter. They were forbidden from fornication, marriage, visiting taverns, or displaying immoral behavior such as violence or drunkenness. Despite the outrageously strict guidelines they had to agree to, London's apprentices were notoriously rowdy, and it's not hard to see why. One-fifth of London's total population and almost half of its men were essentially indentured servants forced to endure beatings and work long hours with no pay, little rest, and no accepted outlet for their energy short of attending church once a week. They were energetic, hormonal, and their systemic repression was so well established and legislated that it was an unquestioned aspect of society. Indeed, London's commerce was largely dependent on the free labor provided by these boys in the name of training them in what amounted to one of history's longest, crappest internships. And you thought a year was bad. Anyway, guidelines are written not because everyone follows them, but because people don't. London's apprentices were not models of sober moral industry as they were meant to be. According to Peter Ackroyd. apprentices were known for heavy drinking, overindulgence, laziness, and starting fights with servants, foreigners, sex workers, and random passers-by. Additionally, they frequently rioted after football matches they attended in Cheapside, proving once again that the more things change, well, the more they stay the same. In addition to the annual Shrove Tuesday riots, during which apprentices assaulted sex workers and vandalized brothels, they rioted over food shortages, out of drunkenness, or because of xenophobia. During the May Day riots of 1517, apprentices, artisans, and children looted the houses of foreigners in the city. In June of 1595 alone, apprentices rioted 12 times against the Lord Mayor over inflated food prices apprentices were overworked, underfed, often abused, and rarely paid. Not only were they not allowed to visit sex workers, but they couldn't afford them if they wanted to. When business suffered, they were the first to be fired, so they didn't have the security of a steady job either. With no money to spend and no way to vent their frustrations, it's really no wonder they were so prone to fighting. Many apprentices were executed at Tyburn for crimes from petty theft to even murder. So, now that we know who we're dealing with, let's talk about the sex workers. Out of London's 105,000 people, an estimated 3600 were sex workers, mostly women, operating out of their own premises. That doesn't sound like much until you consider that the female population was only about 50,000, and a large number of those were children. The average person didn't live to see their 40s, and the vast majority of the London population was under 30. Plus, those 3,600 are just those based in one indoor location. That doesn't include street walkers, casual sex workers, or those operating primarily out of the alleys and parks, of which there were many. It would not be an outrageous estimate to suggest that as many as 30% of London's women were employed as sex workers in the latter half of the 17th century. Even with this generous estimate, apprentices would have outnumbered them two or three to one. Apprentices were very badly behaved, and sex workers were frequently blamed for that bad behavior, because everybody knows that all men would be saints if it wasn't for women driving them into sin. Okay, I was being sarcastic, but that actually sounds kind of awesome, doesn't it? (laughs) Anyway, in his Industry and Idleness series, Hogarth's depiction of a sex worker is shorthand for the apprentice's depravity. Ladies of ill repute were to be resisted at all costs. When apprentices assaulted the women, it was accepted if not seen as completely justified. By tacitly encouraging vice with their very existence, what else could these poor impressionable boys do but resist the women with sometimes violent force? Ugh. Well, when Apprentice Thomas Savage was hanged at Tyburn in 1668 for murdering a fellow-servant, he used his last dying confession to lay his fall from grace at the feet of a lewd woman.
0: The first sin was Sabbath-breaking, thereby I got acquaintance with bad company, and so went to the alehouse and to the bawdy house. There I was persuaded to rob my master, and also murder this poor, innocent creature, for which I came to this shameful end.
1: Well, that escalated quickly. While it's not impossible to believe a woman could have persuaded Savage to rob his master, there's no motive to wish her would-be paramour or murderer. It's far more likely the unnamed woman was a convenient excuse. Sex workers were seen as particularly toxic to apprentices and servants, a kind of gateway drug into all manner of immorality, so accusations of any misdeeds on their part would have gone unquestioned. It's not difficult to see why London sex workers were not overfond of apprentices. After the Shrove Tuesday riots of 1668, a particularly bad year, Elizabeth Cresswell took action. She was a successful madam, and while her brothels had survived both the Great Plague and the Great Fire only two years before, they were actually destroyed by apprentices in 1668. Cresswell co-sponsored a pamphlet addressed to Charles II's mistress, Lady Castlemaine, asking her to intercede on their behalf as the highest-ranking whore in the country. Their words, not mine. Here goes. The Poor Whore's Petition. To the most splendid, illustrious, serene, and eminent lady of pleasure, the Countess of Castlemaine, from the humble petition of the undone company of poor distressed whores, bods, pimps, and panders, humbly showeth that your petitioners have been for a long time connived at, and countenanced in the practice of our venereal pleasures, a trade wherein your ladyship hath great experience, and for your diligence therein, have arrived to high and eminent advancement for these last years. But now we, through the rage and malice of a company of London apprentices, and other malicious and very bad persons, being mechanic, rude, and ill-bred boys, have sustained the loss of our habitations, trades, and employments. And many of us, that have had foul play in the court and sport of Venus, being full of ulcers, but were in a hopeful way of recovery, have our cures retarded through this barbarous and unvenus like usage, and all of us exposed to very hard shifts, being made incapable of giving that entertainment, as the honour and dignity of such persons as frequented our house doth called for, as your ladyship in your own practice hath experimented the knowledge of we therefore being moved by the eminent danger now impending and the great sense of our present suffering do implore your honour to improve your interest which all know is great that some speedy relief may be afforded to us to prevent our utter ruin and undoing and that such a sure course may be taken with the ringleaders and abettors of these evil-disposed persons, that a stop may be put unto them before they come unto your honour's palace, and bring contempt upon your worshipping of Venus, the great goddess whom we all adore. Wherefore in our devotion, your honour being eminently concerned with us, We humbly judge it meet that you procure the French, Irish, and English Hectors, being our approved friends, to be our guard, aid, and protectors, and to free us from these ill home-bred slaves that threaten your destruction as well as ours, that so your ladyship may escape our present calamity, else we know not how soon it may be your honour's own case, for should your eminency but once fall into these rough hands, you may expect no more favour than they have shown unto us poor inferior whores." Will your eminency, therefore, be pleased to consider how highly it concerns you to restore us to our former practice with honor, freedom, and safety, for which we shall oblige ourselves as many oaths as you please, to contribute to your ladyship, as our sisters do at Rome and Venice, in His Holiness the Pope that we may have your petition to the exercise of all our venereal pleasures, and we shall endeavour, as our bounden duty, the promoting of your great name, and the preservation of your honour, safety, and interest, with the hazard of our lives, fortune, and honesty. Needless to say, Lady Castlemaine did not take this well. In case you zoned out there, and I wouldn't blame you, that was really difficult, there was some top-notch 17th century shade in that petition. Yes, London sex workers had suffered violence and the destruction of their property at the hands of several thousand frustrated apprentices with more testosterone than sense but the petition was firmly tongue-in-cheek. It was satire, and possibly written by Cresswell's lover, Sir Thomas Player, an anti-Catholic MP who hated Lady Castlemaine. You know he enjoyed that. But he wasn't the only one, it so happens. Castlemaine was Catholic in a time when anti-Catholic sentiment was rife in England, with many suspecting Charles II of being secretly Catholic himself. Castlemaine was known to be Charles's mistress, but her elevated status as a married countess did not make her less of a whore in the eyes of London's working girls. You may have noticed a few digs in there about Catholicism and the Pope. These were not idle comments, but pointed sedition. The concern expressed that the apprentices might be coming for her next is not only an insult to Castlemaine, but to Whitehall as a whole, the biggest, most debauched brothel of them all. Interestingly enough, the official reason for the apprentice's rioting was anger over the decadence of Charles's court and London in general. The petition doesn't refute this, but it drives it home by addressing it to the king's mistress. If we accept that the riots were political protest as opposed to natural frustration boiling over, and that the petition was moral criticism rather than just an elaborate burn on Lady Castlemaine, it would seem apprentices and sex workers were in agreement with each other with regards to the shortcomings of the court. Now, although Lady Castlemaine did not intercede on behalf of London sex workers as requested, the damage was so severe that eight apprentices were actually executed for rioting. Rioting was seen as similar to treason at this point, and the penalty was likewise severe if infrequently carried out. It's quite a story, isn't it? It makes you glad that most people who observe Shrove Tuesday now just make pancakes. So, whether you celebrate Shrove Tuesday, Mardi Gras, Pancake Day, or just another Tuesday you didn't wake up dead, we hope that your day is safe, happy, and fun. Spare a thought for the victims of the Shrove Tuesday riots of 1668, and keep this in mind whenever you see people pushing for structural sexual repression. Even with the best will in the world, guys, it never ends well. This week I'd like to thank Dr. John for his assistance and thank you as well to our fabulous patrons on Patreon. Melanie Baker, Michael Beckwith, Bethany Bennett, Andy Christopher, Charlotte Collings, Rachel Cooney, Ayanna DeCosta, Michelle Dunbar, James Finch, Adriana Herrera, Howard David Ingham, Emma Young, Mary McComb, Janine Meberg, Jessica Miller, and Kelly Simon. Thanks everybody. If you would like to support the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Or you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dirty Sexy History. You can also reach us through the website dirtysexyhistory.com where we have six years worth of history articles to keep you well entertained while you're waiting for the next show. But be warned, guys, it is a bit of a time suck. (laughs) So our sources today include Peter Ackroyd, London, The Biography, Catherine Arnold, The Sexual History of London. Alan Brooke and David Brandon. Tyburn, London's Fatal Tree. E.J. Burford, Bods and Lodgings, A History of the London Bankside Brothels from 100 to 1675. Samuel Pepys, Diary Entry for March 25, 1668. Liza Picard, Restoration London. See you next time. Dirty Sexy History is an independent podcast by Jessica Kale and Dr. John Jenkins. You can find us at DirtySexyHistory.com.